Welcome to the Health Science Coach Podcast. My name is Drew Garner. I am a health science and physical education teacher here at Turner High School. My objective is to provide information to students about different healthcare careers and explain how these professionals got to where they are in their careers. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's dig in. Today we get the pleasure of meeting Aaron Borgman. He's a physical therapist, athletic trainer, and owner of Borgman Rehab Solutions. Welcome, Aaron. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on and uh, coming to talk to our students about what it is that you do as a physical therapist. Um, so you have a really unique business setup that it allows you to work with a variety of different people throughout Kansas City and the regional area. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you do as a, a concierge or a satellite physical therapist. Yeah, so it's it's a really interesting concept. I didn't even know that I was doing it when I got started, but uh, the people who did all my marketing and branding told me to call me that. So uh, that's what I do. Um, I'm basically a private business owner that owns my own business that takes care of people on their time. Uh, I, they're choosing the home or gym or office or anything like that. And it's not your typical business model because I don't have an office by design. I don't have a place where I go to every day. I work out of my office here uh, from the business side of things, but I treat people wherever they want to be treated. For instance, if it's a football player that I'm rehabbing, I'll meet them on a football field. Or if it's a busy business executive, sometimes I'll meet them in their office uh, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, it's really been pretty cool. I've, I've chronicled uh, a lot of my unique locations on, uh, on my Instagram account just because I think it's cool to highlight the profession and all the cool things that you can do in the locations that we can do it. But um, I, I think it's atypical, not by design, but just kind of out of uh, evolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So being able to, like, like you said, take a football player to a football field and do the drills and movements that they would be doing there versus, you know, somebody maybe that's a golfer or a, a swimmer, being able to take them to their facilities and work with them there. I think that's really cool. Um, so you studied at St. Louis University. You're from the general St. Louis area. Um, what made you kind of look at SLU versus other schools? Yes. Yeah, so uh, when I was coming out, uh, physical therapy was this kind of weird morphed profession where if you went to some schools, you would have to go to undergrad and then apply to be in PT school. Um, if you went to some, it was what they called direct entry. So from the minute you stepped on campus, you were enrolled in PT school. And obviously that was way more appealing to me uh, than having to go through undergrad and then have to apply. Uh, I didn't set out to go to SLU. Um, I, you know, I, I grew up about an hour from SLU. I didn't really care where I went to school, if it was really far away, if it was really far close, or if it was really close, excuse me. Um, they just happened to have a great program. Um, they were the first people to accept me, and uh, it was direct entry, so uh, it just kind of worked out that way. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so like you talked about, the direct entry program versus going to getting your undergrad to getting your master's in athletic training and physical therapy. How did that program set up as athletic training or physical therapy? Because I know that you are both. Yeah, so it was really interesting at the time. Um, you could not be enrolled in both programs concurrently, right? So you would have had to do one and then do the other. Now there's some programs since then that have melded the two to where you can do them at the same time. When I was in school, and I'm dating myself a little bit here, they had what they called the internship route 
becoming an athletic trainer, which they have since eliminated. But that what it was, was that if you could verify that all of your classes met the requirements for the athletic training program, all you needed was 1,500 clinical hours then in a uh, athletic training room or work study setting, which I had, and then sit for the exam and you would pass. You'd become a certified athletic trainer. So uh, a lot of people, when I was in school, were doing that route. Uh, yeah. That's what I did. I know it was atypical and not a lot of people did it that way. Uh, but it worked out really well for me because then I could kind of do everything all at once at the time and uh, save some time in my life and then kind of, you know, move forward from professionally from there. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so during that program, how did those classes, like, like you said, it was a direct admit program. How did those classes line up with your undergraduate classes like English and math and that kind of stuff and move into the athletic training, physical therapy side? Yeah, so uh, I didn't actually start having PT classes, even though I was in the program. I didn't really have to start having them consistently until my junior year of college. And, you know, you had all your prereqs and your undergrad. And because I went to a Jesuit school, uh, yeah. you had to have so many philosophies, so many theology, just, you know, or graduate from any major. And so there was a lot of knocking that out, a lot of the uh, prereq biology and chemistry stuff. And, and then when you kind of got to that midpoint, junior year, you started taking some real PT classes. And then we actually had two summers that we had to go straight through in the course of six years-ish total to uh, complete the course study. So it once you got to that junior year, it really started to accelerate. And then it was pretty much all PT from there. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so during your time there, and I, in your background, I'm noticing you got your Kansas City Chiefs uh, nameplate and your uh, Philadelphia Eagles nameplate there as well. Um, before that, when you were in college, I know you had two really cool experiences there too. Um, you had an internship with the St. Louis Cardinals and the uh, St. Louis Rams there. Let's talk a little bit about how you uh, were able to get those and what you did with those programs. Yes, yeah, so uh, thanks for dating me on the St. Louis Rams part. Um, but uh, yeah, so I got, I'm got i a huge diehard Cardinals fan, um, and so that was kind of a, a little bit of a dream come true. I got to sit in the dugout for a whole summer as an intern and kind of learn and see what they did on a daily basis. I thought that I wanted to work in baseball, and then I decided that was going to be too much of a chunk of my time. Um, little did I know. And then uh, in the yeah. summers following that, uh, I got lucky two years in a row and got subsequent internships with the Rams where I'd go to summer camp with them in Macomb, Illinois, and then we would, uh, you know, come back. And then as my schedule allowed in season, I'd go out there on Wednesdays and work home games on Sundays kind of thing. So uh, I got those simply because I think I bothered people enough and they, I wore them down. And so uh, I got to kind of be around and, you know, soak all that information in. And, you know, that was an invaluable experience to put on a resume postgraduate. So then that would get noticed at the next level. And I got to be honest, without those, I'm not sure that I would have been given the opportunities that I had after that, because people flat out told me, you know, we didn't know anything about you, but you had people on your resume that we trust. Right. And so therefore, we're, we're willing to take a chance on you. So when you were when you were in school, you know, like the, the internship with the Cardinals that first summer, what year did you do that? Like, was that your in between your fifth year or your fourth year or how does that 
kind of play into the yeah that was 2000 the summer of 2002 uh more dating myself um that would have been in between my junior and senior year of undergrad okay and then the next and then the two summer and fall internships would have been subsequent in line after that so i was with the uh rams in 0304 and 0405 okay so yeah i was just kind of putting that in perspective as to when students are in school you know how should they how far in advance should they be looking for those opportunities and you know what are some examples or like you said you know you had the peoples and the names and you bugged them enough on your resume to to have those experiences what what are some uh tech not techniques i guess but what are some ideas that people should be looking for when they're looking for resume or resume building skills or internships for something that they really want yeah so you know it's an interesting question when uh when i was in high school i thought i was going to be an orthopedic surgeon right and then i very quickly discovered how much school that took and i pride myself on being very self-aware and i knew that was not going to happen for me like i just i i couldn't do that um uh, I'm a very, very good clinician. I am not a great student, um, and I freely admit that. Um, and so knowing that, deciding to go down the sports PT route, the minute I stepped foot on campus, I was constantly looking like, how do I get to the top of this? And then, you know, I did that. I started working basketball games and football or soccer games. We didn't have football. Um, and then, you know, once I did that, well, okay, so what's the next thing? Where can I get my foot in the door here? And, you know, honestly, it's just a lot of asking people and asking questions and not being afraid to, uh, A, find out the answers, but B, being told no. Like, I, I've been told no 40 times for every time I've been told yes. Like, in, in, and that's okay, too. You know, you just kind of take it and you learn from it, and then you find the next avenue to where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. That. Being able to, you know, take your passion for what you wanted to learn and look at, you know, you wanted to be involved in those sports, you wanted to be involved in baseball, you wanted to take it to the next level. And by pursuing what you wanted, I think you were able to kind of get your foot in to be able to have those experiences, you know, later on. Um, So after college, graduate, and then uh, let's talk about what you did looking for a job uh, straight out of college. Yeah, so in physical therapy, you graduate, right? And then you don't just automatically go get a job. You can, but you won't be uh, board certified. You have to sit for national testing, right? And so there was about a six-month lag there uh, before I could pass my national boards. Luckily, I passed it on the first time, you know, um, and didn't have to wait again. But I had a job with the university, actually, um, working in their clinic. And that seems like decades and decades and decades ago, which it was, obviously. But uh, in the meantime there, I actually got a job with uh, an entity that doesn't exist anymore, and that was NFL Europe. And I was using that to try to get into the NFL full-time. And I didn't have any good contacts in the NFL for full-time jobs, so I thought, well, you know, it's kind of like the minor league, so I'll kind of work my way up. I was very fortunate to get accepted into NFL Europe, and that would be the spring of 06, after I graduated in the fall of 05, we had fall graduation. And so um, after that, I was all set to go to Germany for six weeks, two months. I was going to live in Germany. It was the year of the World Cup. I was so excited. 
And three days before I left for training camp, the Philadelphia Eagles call me and say, hey, we've got a job. Do you want it? And I go, yeah, but I just signed a contract to go to Germany. And they're like, oh, we'll get you out of that. And so um, I went to training camp for two weeks in Tampa until they found my replacement. And then um, I got flown up to Philadelphia. And the first day I ever saw the city of Philadelphia was my first day on the job and kind of went from there. That's pretty cool. Um, so you were with the Eagles for seven years. Um, as a professional uh, athletic trainer, physical therapist with the Eagles, uh, I know you saw lots of various different types of injuries, but what, what's it like a, a typical day in the life or week in the life kind of look like uh, lined out? And I know that's different for in-season versus out-of-season. Sure, sure. Uh, but what's a typical in-season week in the life of look like? Yeah, so um, let's put it this way. The NFL is nonstop for eight months. And when I say nonstop, I mean seven days a week, um, you know, 24 hours a day, basically. And you, uh, I kind of coined the phrase in our organization, it's all just different shades of tired between July and February. Um, and so... You know, there'd be weeks, if you were lucky, it was a 75-hour week. Um, you know, there'd be weeks when it was a grind where it was a 90-hour week. Uh, training camp every day is a 16-hour day. Um, you know, in-season, Mondays and Tuesdays are lighter. You might have a 12-hour day. Um, Wednesdays and Thursdays are heavier. Fridays are lighter. And then Saturday, you're either having a half day at home or, or you're traveling someplace. And then Sunday, you obviously play the game. And even on home games on Sundays... It's a, it's a long day. You know, I used to leave my house here in Kansas City, get to Arrowhead at 7.30 or 8 o'clock for a one. Uh, no, it would be 7.30 for a noon game. I'd yep. be there till 5 and get home. And that was considered a short day in season. Um, and so it really is a grind. Um, and you have to mentally prep for that. In the off season, it's a little bit more easier, more like 40 hours a week, closer to it. But there's always a weekend in there in the off season for mini camps or for draft or anything like that, the combine. Um, you know, what I tell people is you got to plan on every day for eight months, you know, a, a pretty good chunk of your life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so you were there in Philly for seven years and you made the move to Kansas City and you, how did that kind of transpire? It's a professional uh, move. Yeah, so uh, in 2012 in Philly, we did not have a very good season. And uh, we knew about halfway through the season, you know, the whispers had gotten pretty loud for uh, coach to no longer be employed there. And right. we knew, kind of all knew. And so toward the end of the, the football year and, and the calendar year, we were all kind of, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to try to stay here? Are we going to try to make the jump with him? Are we going to do something completely different? And I, I was offered to stay in Philadelphia. Um, we didn't know where coach was going to land. And, you know, there was some whispers of different cities that my wife and I and my young son at the time were not interested in moving to. So we thought we were actually going to move back to St. Louis. Okay. And uh, when we heard Kansas City was an option, my ears obviously perked up um, and, you know, kind of, uh, I don't want to say begged, but said, hey, look, like, this would be great. I'm near my hometown. I'd love to come continue to work for you guys. And so I was very fortunate that my boss at the time, who's still the boss, the head in charge of medical uh, the chiefs. Um, I said, look, uh, I can, I can do this job for you. And he, he believed in me, thankfully. 
And so I became a second in command of medical here in town and uh, made the jump with Andy and, you know, uh, didn't look back. Uh, enjoyed the professional move. It was an interesting thing, just moving up and picking up our lives on the fly with a kid and now buying a house and all that stuff. And uh, people do it every day in football. You're kind of a nomad. Uh, right. So, so, you know, I wasn't doing anything that people hadn't done. It was just new to me. And, yeah. and so, uh, especially with a family now, and, and you know, decided we. I bought a. I bought my house without my wife even seeing it, which was one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. Um, uh, you know that that was unique. Um, so you know, it, it was crazy and awesome and fun and scary and ridiculous all at the same time. But uh, love Kansas City. That's why we decided to stay here after I got out and um, haven't looked back since. That's awesome. Um, so then working with the Chiefs. Uh, same kind of schedule. What are what some are of the some things, things that different programs or, you know, you've been with, you've worked with three different professional football teams uh, and a professional baseball team. What are some of the things that you notice uh, that at such a high level, but being uh, a little bit different maybe from organization to organization? Yeah, so, you know, I'm a little bit biased, obviously, because my entire full-time professional NFL life was with Andy. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that's where it begins. The structure begins at the top down about how you want to organize things. And I, I've never been with anybody else full-time in the NFL, but I'll tell you all the stories that you talk hear about and guys that you talk about come from different teams. Um, if you don't have that great leadership at the top of any organization, it, just because I happen to work in professional football, then it, it just doesn't work below that. And he did such a great job of that, better than a lot of teams. And I think that's why, you know, he's such an in-demand coach, right? Like in Philadelphia, he brought great stability to a team for 20 years. And you see what the, those results are here now as well, right? And so I think it's it, it's the stability and the leadership at the top that really defines that. Um, other professional teams can show that too, obviously. But, you know, it's the fact that you, you put somebody in place at the top, you tell them to hire who they want, and then those people, you know, kind of continue to have that downward uh, trend of trusting people to do their job and not micromanaging or anything like that and just say, hey, look, I'm going to hire the best people for the job and they're going to get it done kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's pretty cool to be able to have that. Um, so after five years with Kansas City, you decided to make a little move and uh, do a little change. Uh, and that's when you started your own program with the Borgman Rehab Solutions. Um, you know, 20 years in the industry now uh, of physical therapy, athletic training. How did that change uh, help you in, in your life, particularly with, you know, your schedule and your timing? Yeah, so um, it's an interesting thing. Like, I didn't think when I got into the league that I was ever going to be uh, bored and I don't know that I'd say bored is the right word. I was just ready for a new challenge. I had done that for a very long time. And the NFL is never, ever, ever boring. Let's get that straight. It's just that it was the same thing every year, you know, pretty consistently. And I, I personally wanted to do something different. I wanted to see my family a little bit more than I was getting into. My, my wife's career was taking off, and so she needed more time. She's a professor at uh, Kansas University Medical Center. Um, she uh, needed to finish her PhD. So uh, my kids were getting older. I missed seeing their soccer games and their baseball games and this and this. And I wanted to do something 
to where I could build my own thing, right? right? And I didn't know what that was at the time. And I decided to, you know, I had a contract in my hands and I said, you know, you know what, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm just, I'm going to take a step back and do something else. And I took six months off and I didn't know if I was going to build furniture for a living or sell real estate or whatever. And I kind of came up with this business model that I'm working with now. And I thought, well, there's nobody here in Kansas City doing this. Um, mm -hmm. I can uh, avoid my overhead costs by not having a facility. And if I don't like it after a year or so, then I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Like I'm not sinking my life savings into it. And, and so it's been fun and challenging and awesome and terrible and cool and stressful all at the same time. But I'm, I'm having fun doing it right now. And I've left the door wide open to do a myriad of other things because I got lucky, right? I got into the NFL when I was 25 and spent, yeah. 12, spent 12 years there and then decided by my own volition that I wanted to get out. Um, and that's just something people don't do. Like they either stay their whole lives or they get fired or, you know, God forbid they pass away at their job because they've been there forever. Uh, but I, I'm just that type of person that I always need something new and fresh in my life. And so after 12 years, I just decided that uh, it was stale and I wanted to do something else and I needed a different challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of led you to being able to, like we said, you know, pick and choose your own clients, being mm -hmm. able to uh, look at different venues to train and practice at with those clients. Um, and during this time, you developed something called the QB School. Uh, it's beyond the football field, though, as well. It works for baseball, soccer, lacrosse players and as well as golfers with that rotational movements. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how that came about? Yeah, so that was interesting. It kind of mutated, you know, out of a couple of weird ideas that we had had. I had, uh, in my time in the NFL, I had always worked with quarterbacks, you know, all the way back to Philadelphia with Donovan and Mike and Kevin Cobb and Jeff Garcia and those guys. And then when I got here, um, became pretty good buddies with Alex Smith and Chase Daniel and Tyler Bray and all the guys that play QB here. And, and we decided that there wasn't enough quarterback-specific um, supplemental work out there for them on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And so Alex kind of came to me one day and goes, hey, you know, can we can we work on some things and do this? And I go, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do that. And um, I got to be completely honest with you, the first version of it was really, really, really bad. Um, <laughs> and I didn't like it at all. So I spent the following off-season kind of revamping everything that I thought was good and taking bits and pieces from that and adding to it and subtracting from it. And so we created a daily uh, routine uh, or time period where it was just me and the quarterbacks that we'd sit down and do specific rotational or core work, you know, stuff that they just weren't going to fit in other places, right? And it was our daily 15 or 20 minutes and it was dedicated. And so we at the time, we jokingly called it QB school because it was just me and the three or four QBs at the time. And so then it kind of evolved and got got a little bit more specific. And I thought, you know, when I got out, I was like, hey, I can take this thought process and this um, concept to anybody that rotates and anybody that turns for a sport or an activity. And so that's kind of, you know, where I went with it. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm an avid golfer. Uh, I love to play. I love to work with golfers. I've had the the pleasure of working with them around town at various country clubs and sites like that. And so, you know, we've adapted it there. A lot of soccer players, a lot of lacrosse players, that kind of thing. And so basically anybody that turns, um, I like to work with those people because I feel like there's a lot more that they're missing um, 
they're, they're not there's gaps to fill kind of thing and that's not that they're doing anything wrong it's just that i think about things a little bit differently and so i've gotten the chance to work with a lot of high school qbs here uh some professional qbs on the side um still talk to my friends in the league and you know say hey what's up that kind of thing um but yeah it's been fun it's it's been challenging again to adapt to that to all these different settings and sports but um you know i'm always up for a challenge i'm a problem solver by nature so that's what i do absolutely that's pretty cool um and you also spent a little time during that transitional area working with the arrowhead pride and 610 sports um you don't really see uh, somebody working uh, i mean you might but being able to just sit and talk about the people that are that we see watching tv uh, during the games you know you're able to sit down and break down that process of the injury and rehabilitation uh, being the specialist in that. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you did with them for just a minute. Yeah, so when I got out, um, I, I, and I still to this day have a pretty big passion for educating people on injuries. And, you know, what happens in the NFL is so unique from the time standard it takes to get people better and the time crunch that you're on, you know, on a six, basically a six-day cycle, right? And, and, you know, I thought that that was undereducated to the public for sure. And there's definitely people on networks and on the radio and on social media. And I, I'm guilty of it now um, that tried to inform people. But I didn't know of anybody that, that had my perspective doing it. Somebody that worked in the trenches on the day to day basis. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed working with the guys at Arrowhead Pride for a couple of years, um, writing articles, educational pieces, not so much about you know, return to play and stuff like that. I didn't want to get into all that. Uh, those norms are out there. You can Google that real easy, but more the explanation about what people were going through. And so, you know, I had fun being on the website and on the radio for a couple of years and a couple of TV spots and some national radio and things like that. And, and, and that was cool because I got to express um, what people didn't know about things and right. what, they, what they may not be considering or, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. You know, the uh, the professional sports world operates under what I call the iceberg theory, where you only really see about 20% of actually what happens. Yep. And, you know, balancing all of that knowledge with the fact that some of those people that I was talking about were still my friends and I have good relationships with the medical staff and good relationships with coach and things like that. It was, it was, uh, it was a challenge at times because, uh, you know, you don't want to give away too much. You don't want people not to trust you and things like that. But uh, I had a great time with it. And uh, I thought that that had kind of naturally run its course also. So I stepped away from that and decided to do different stuff again. You know, that's just kind of, uh, I'm just kind of always looking for the next thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, um, you know, 20 years in the field, doing a couple different jobs, working, you know, with your, <clears throat> your now your company that you have, working in the NFL. Um, what is your passion? What do you love about your job? Ah, what a loaded question. Um, I really enjoy, and this is going to stick with me here. This is how I explain it. I like taking people from what I call zero to 60, right? Um, I, I can do the performance end game stuff. Uh, I, I enjoy that too, but I like taking people that can't function, you know, either from post-surgical or from fresh injury and doing my best to cut corners and expedite the process from not being able to function at all to returning to sport. Right. Um, you know, that's where I consider my skill set to be the best. Once once they can do that thing again, it, again, it kind of gets boring to me. 
And so I like the challenge of taking people from zero function to a bunch of function, and then somebody else can go and like maximize that. Um, I just think it's the, I think it's the most fun thing in the world to teach somebody how to walk again or right. to uh, get them to jump after an Achilles repair, um, you know, and then see their face light up like, oh my gosh, I just did that again. And yeah. so that to me is pretty cool. Or somebody that, you know, has been injured for a long period of time and bring them some pain relief and restore some function there. And so um, I, I would say that my passion there lies for giving people function back. That makes any sense to you oh yeah absolutely being able to like you said that zero to 60 from ground zero to back to where you were absolutely i'll, I'll do Pretty zero easy. to 60 and give 60 to 100 to somebody else yeah that makes sense too um so professionally what do you think is something that you're most proud of accomplishing uh most proud of accomplishing I just like the fact that, you know, during my time, uh, both at school, I did a lot of different sports and I covered a lot of different sports and I was doing internships that no one had ever done. Um, and then I got into the league and um, I, I got into the league at a time where uh, things had kind of been done the same way for a long period of time. And we kind of started to shift that a little bit. And so kind of take the exercise model and put it on its head and change that around. And so we got creative there and then I got here and everything that's inside of Arrowhead at the time or St. Joe and training camp at the time or the current athletic training room at the Chiefs facility, like I designed a lot of that. And so um, that was cool. Kind of just always building something new and always like pushing the envelope of creativity, be it in rehab or, you know, facility design or setup or process or whatever. I enjoy, you know, building new things and building things out and, creating new things and um you know then once i do that like i want to move on to the next thing that's why my wife always kind of jokes about how i leave a bunch of unfinished projects around the house but i, I think to your point and to your original question uh i'm most proud of the fact that i've done a bunch of different unique stuff absolutely that's pretty cool being like you said building starting the project from ground zero to bringing it to where it is is pretty cool and you know helping develop the uh training facility up in st joe that's Pretty interesting as well. Um, do you have anything you regret, regret not doing, maybe in high school or college, that could help you now with your profession? Uh, I regret not learning how to study in high school. Um, I was a straight A student in high school. I didn't study one time. I never had a problem with homework. And then I got to college and I got my backside blown in. Like I was just a terrible, terrible student my first two years of college and saw grades that I didn't recognize, right? And so a um, great clinician uh, put me inside the training room or on the field, and that's where I'm golden. I am a terrible, terrible book learner. I can't just read and absorb like I have to do. And so looking back, if I was going to change it, I'd figure out how to do that sooner because I probably had to work harder to keep things in my head as opposed to just, you know, absorbing it and repeating it. Like I, I carry a book of you know, stuff wherever I go, just because I constantly have to look things up and reference things and stuff like that. And so I've become a better student, not necessarily a better worker or a clinician, but I, I would try to become a better student and read more and learn more, I guess. Yeah, that makes total sense, especially when it kind of goes into the next question. 
um, having to keep up your, or your boards with uh, physical therapy and athletic training. Um, what are some of the things you do for professional development? Yeah, so um, I really enjoy speaking, right? Um, I, I traveled around the country and regionally speaking on different topics and talking to different groups and educating on stuff that I'm passionate about, right? But I already know all that stuff. So when I'm doing that, I try to take in some of those other sessions and learn something that I haven't seen before. Uh, I, I read a lot of stuff uh, online about uh, topics that I'm interested in and stuff that I don't even know about. And actually starting this company and getting out of the league has given me more time to do that. I, I'm in my truck a lot when I'm going to and from patients. And so I listen to a lot of educational podcasts, actually, because I do absorb it a little bit better that way than actually reading it. And so, um, you know, be it if they're talking about scientific journal articles or different concepts in rehab or whatever, there's a, literally a podcast for everything now. And so I absorb a lot of knowledge that way, too. And, uh, you know, um, I, I think that, you know, conferences are great. You know, taking continuing education courses is great, but if you're not doing it from a, a bunch of different avenues, then you're probably missing out on some good stuff. I talk to people all the time on social media, uh, other clinicians, and I'm constantly asking them questions about stuff that I don't know about. If you follow me on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, I am constantly asking people questions about how they do things and why they do it and this and that. And, you know, just I've never been afraid to ask a question. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense being able to put that into context of what you want to learn about, what you want to find out about and looking for the answers um, kind of goes into that next question of industry trends. Um, being in the league 12 years, being in the industry for 20 years, what are some of the current industry trends that you may see at some of the stuff like professional development for uh, care of athletes? Yeah, so our industry is always, and not just athletic care, but rehabilitation, is always looking for shortcuts, right? And, and that's not a bad thing. Like, it was always my job to get a guy back on the field as fast as I could. And that's a shortcut, right? So too often, I think our industry tries to do that through passive means. If it's not like a new machine or a medication or, you know, whatever it is, a new fad, an injectable, uh, something crazy like that, when we don't know if any of that stuff truly works till X amount of months and years down the line. What we do know works is exercise, right? Yep. And the problem then becomes is that's, that's active. Like you have to work at that. You have to try, you have to get up every day and do that. And unfortunately, too many people that I take care of still to this day and too many people that we all know um they want the passive stuff and uh -huh. you know the we know the active stuff works and the passive stuff might help us cut some of those corners and i'm here for that like I, i'm all about it but we got to stick with the active stuff and so i think people try to get too far away from the the known quantities in our industry and focus too much on the the, the outside noise if that makes any sense to you yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just because one thing works for me as an athlete, as recovery, as for golf, being a golf coach and you being a passionate about golf, something that I see for that works for high school kids may not be the same for each of the individuals. Right, for sure. And, you know, since you're a golf coach, you know, there is a gadget and a system 
and a, a, a training aid for everything. And yep. 92.875% of it doesn't do a thing, you know, like, um, and, and, but you know, it's, it's an industry where money is to be made much like my industry. And so if somebody can market something really well and tell you that it helps, then somebody is going to buy it. Yeah. And chances are it may help. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, so what are some of your career goals that you have set for yourself in the immediate future, maybe five to 10 years down the road? Yeah. So I was actually just talking about this yesterday. Um, you know, business expansion is an interesting idea to me. I'm, I'm the only person in my business. I'm the I'm the president, the owner, the, the worker, the accountant, the, you know, everything. Yeah. Uh, the supply manager. Uh, so I'd be interested in, you know, expanding not only my local uh, umbrella here a little bit, but uh, also finding ways uh, of passive immunity. I've done a lot of advising and consulting for some companies, both around town and nationally. And so uh, those are passion projects of mine now that I've had the chance to, thankfully, with COVID to kind of cultivate. I've got a lot of extra time. And so um, those have been interesting. And so uh, expanding my thoughts and how I like to do rehab and my concepts of that to a broader reach that I could never reach by myself kind of thing, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And right when you said that, I had four or five ideas of just what that looks like in your in your own head. and. and having a sports marketing background, that's pretty cool to be able to, you know, think about being able to do that type of stuff. Um, we kind of hit on a little bit what you wish you would have knew, known early on in high school or college uh, about being a better learner. Is there anything else that you wish you may have done differently uh, or changed in high school or college or knew about uh, that would help you with your career now? Um, I don't know about change uh, I, I try to i try to live kind of almost no regrets in life just because even if i screw something up like then i learn from it right and so that's that's a positive thing um things that i would change i would probably have been more aggressive in putting myself even out there more uh i think that i got lucky uh and i was in the right place at the right time but i think that had I facilitated that uh, a little bit better, I could have, um, you know, been even more marketable. I, I think that putting yourself out there is only uh, as good as, you know, what you make of it. And so if you think opportunities are going to come to you, that's just not the way that it works, right? I, I falsely thought when I got out of the league that there was going to be a lot more opportunities right in front of my face because I had accomplished all these things. And that's just not the way the world works. Like you got to go out and get it and you got to work every day for it. Right. And so I would say that it, it, when I knew that I was getting out of the league and I had known for a little bit that I would have gone back and taken more opportunity at that time before I was even out to talk to some of those people then. So I didn't spend a year doing it, you know, after the fact. And so, you know, start to forecast your life a little bit. Um, and I think that goes a long way. Kind of setting yourself up for success. Yeah. Um, Jim's books, like he's talked about, that you listen to or read a lot of books and listen to a lot of podcasts. Do you have any books or podcasts, maybe, that people that are thinking they're interested in becoming a physical therapist or an athletic trainer might want to look at as a high school or college age student? Yeah. So uh, a lot of the stuff that I listen to and read probably a little bit dry for the. Uh, 
because uh, it's all scientific stuff, you know, with, uh, you know, numbers and stats and things. Uh, I, I would tell you that there's a couple of different books that are conceptualized uh, about how to take care of people. And, you know, I, I'd be happy to, you know, make a list for you. I, I, I don't think that I could recommend anything off the top of my head. I listen to a lot of, uh, you know, broad based stuff and then, you know, kind of poke and choose my uh, own interest in there. Uh, there is a plethora of, you know, health science interest podcasts, be it from, you know, do this exercise now or how do you take care of an athlete in the offseason kind of thing? You know, what what do we think about this? And, and so uh, I would have to break it down by category, quite frankly, because there's just I have way too many subscriptions on this stupid phone uh, of <laughs> things that I listen to. So um, happy to do it. Uh, I don't know that I can narrow it down to just a couple. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. You know, like you said, spending that time in your truck, traveling back and forth in between uh, patients, having that time to listen to that and do some research. Um, we have a couple more questions. Uh, one of them is, uh, do you have a product that you use and dealing with different athletes who use a lot of different products or, or tools or, or uh, equipment, but what is a, a piece of equipment that you really like to use uh, to help people train for rotational sports? Uh, I'm gonna shock you here and I'll tell you the best multi I'm a, I, so I travel mobile, right? And I can't have a lot of stuff. I have a small bag that I take into people's homes. Um, you know, it has a couple of tools and rehab tools in it, you know, rubber bands, um, you know, unstable surfaces, which you can make in anybody's home with a pillow or a blanket. The number one thing that I use more than anything, uh, honest to God, uh, I'm not kidding you, is a uh, youth soccer ball. And uh, I, can, I can create any exercise with that. I can make some, I can use somebody for balance or strength. Um, and, and, and that's my point. And what I tell people, like, you don't have to have the fancy expensive equipment. Uh, I can make a, a tough, tough workout out of a blanket, a soccer ball, a lacrosse ball, um, a furniture slider, a paper towel, uh, a paper plate. Like, um, I, I, I like to use what people have, honestly mostly because I can't take a bunch of stuff into people's houses. And that's, that's been the, the interesting challenge for me is to create good uh, rehabilitation programs with what people have. Um, you know, uh, I like uh, another great one is just a simple exercise ball. Like you can get a heck of a workout just from an exercise ball. If you do it right and get creative with it. And so, um, you know, uh, I don't have that one singular thing because I don't really believe there is that one singular thing. I think, if I was going to say one singular thing, it's just up here in your creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to adapt and change with that physical therapy, especially with, you know, different types of uh, programs that you're setting for those different patients. Uh, that's a big positive. Um, this one's this last one is a or second to last one is a two part question. So I had a uh, high school athletic trainer come on and you know, her question was, if you dislike blank, then being an athletic trainer is not for you. And her answer was feet, because she is constantly wrapping and taping. Yeah, I love feet. Um, in, your, in your thoughts and your experience, if you dislike blank, then being an athletic trainer or physical therapist is not for you. Uh, how do I want to answer that? There's about a dozen things that you can throw in there. 
Uh, I would say that if you dislike empathy, right? So 90% of our job is understanding what the other person is telling you, right? And so mm -hmm. if, if you're not somebody that likes to listen to other people's stories, likes to listen to other people's um, concerns, because you and I might have the same condition, but it probably affects us differently within our daily business, right? And so yeah. if you dislike um, being able to sit and listen to somebody tell you why something bothers them or how it's affecting your life, you're probably not going to do very well in any healthcare industry setting, right? Um, more specifically, if you dislike, uh, you know, problem solving, uh, if you if you're the type of person that has to have stuff that's right in front of you, that's not going to go very well in this industry. Um, yeah, very not. very rarely is the answer right there. Um, it, you know, oftentimes it's really complex and hard to find the source of a person's problem. It's very rarely the thing that hurts. Actually, <laughs> it's unless you're unless you got hit in the thigh and you have a quad bruise, it's probably not what's causing your pain. Trauma causes pain but there's 18 other causes above and below the site of pain that it causes, right? Yeah. So problem solving, I would say, is a big one as well. Yeah, that's pretty good. And then the other part of that is if you do like blank, then being a physical therapist is the right career path for you. If you do like people, if you do like interacting with people and talking to people all day long, um, if you like uh, seeing a smile on somebody's face when they can bend their knee again, or they can pick up a coffee mug, or you know, if, if you return them to their activity, whatever it is, like maybe they just want to go walk down the street and they haven't been able to. The great thing about my industry is while I focused on sports, there's almost limitless subsections of physical therapy that, you know, between kids and older adults and uh, joint replacements and neuro and you know, da 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 da, right? And so there's 18 different specialties that you can do with my degree. You know, that's the thing that kind of separates us from athletic trainers in the fact that, um, you know, we don't just deal with athletes. And that's the beauty of it. Like right now I have athletes on my schedule. I have an 82-year-old Parkinson's patient. I have a 75-year-old priest with knee replacements. Like I, I see the whole thing, right? Um, and that's what I like about the variability of my profession. Yeah, absolutely. And last question is, is do you have a mantra or a quote that you live by that helps you with your work? Yeah. Um, and if you were at my, if you were on my website, you probably saw it. Um, yeah. I, I believe that process is always better than product. And what I say by that, if I have an athlete and take for you, if you want to get back to golfing, I don't ever worry about you golfing again. Right. I worry about the steps that it takes for you to golf. I worry about your range of motion. I worry about your strength. I worry about your balance, I, you know, so on and so forth. If I do my job and I take care of every one of those steps or the process, the product will take care of itself, right? Not, I'm never worried about product because I'm just worried about my daily job. Yeah, that's so awesome. process over product. Process over product, exactly. How to get from A to B to C to get you to the end. Um, thank you so much for spending about 50 minutes with us talking about your profession and what you do. Um, if people want to reach out to you on social media, how do, how would they go about doing that? Uh, yeah, so I very vainly uh, named myself 15 years ago when I started social media stuff, uh, Rehab All-Star. Um, 
and I didn't feel like changing it around after, you know, I got a little bit of following. So um, that's where I'm at. Otherwise, you can just search my name, uh, Aaron Borgman, two A's, two N's, and uh, it'll pop right up. Perfect. Thank you so much. We really appreciate this, and our students are going to love it. Happy to be here. Thanks again.